Welcome to Beyond the Blacklist Law by Prism Chambers, a platform where we demystify legal concepts for you. This is episode 3 of Beyond the Black Letter Law by Prison Chambers. Today, we conclude our first mini-series on the theme of succession and estate planning. The format of this episode is slightly different. I will be joined by my colleague Zaleka, and we will talk about four estate planning structures we frequently encounter. We will be discussing the pros and cons of each structure, as well as some of the broader implications to consider. We hope that you find the content useful. So, Zuleika, let's start with the simplest succession planning tool, the will. We've obviously discussed the four seership rules at length during our first episode and how it restricts the portion of your estate which you can freely give away in Mauritius. With that in mind, do you think there's still value in having a will? Yes, I believe that there are several advantages in having a will. First of all, the parents retain flexibility and freedom to deal with the assets prior to their death, as the assets will be vested in the heirs only upon death. So that's the first advantage. The second advantage, I would say that the process is quite straightforward. It is relatively cheap in comparison with other options, such as the trust. There is also no registration duty or land transfer tax when you are transferring immovable property through the will. So these are the main advantages of the will. But of course, we should always bear in mind that the will can be challenged by heirs in the event that the will does not cater for the forced tiership rules. And one other point that I would like to highlight is that the will goes through a probate process upon death of the, of the testator which can be time-consuming. Whereas in the case of a trust, for example, this is not the case. There is no need to go through the probate process, which is prescribed by the law. Yeah, so I would say, yes, there are advantages to the will, but we should all also not forget about the disadvantages. And obviously, as we're a tax firm, we will have to ask tax questions. So are there any tax issues to bear in mind if assets are inherited by way of will? Well, no. As I mentioned, normally when you transfer immovable property, you should always bear in mind that there can be land transfer tax or registration duty that can arise. But for a succession by way of will, there is no land transfer tax or registration duty that will be applicable. Thanks, Zuleika. And I guess it's important to highlight to our listeners as well that there's no inheritance tax in Mauritius. So there'll be no inheritance taxes or other taxes uh, to, to pay upon inheritance of assets. Yeah. Joanne, let me now ask you about another succession tool, which is the donation portage. So as an alternative to the will, we've often seen parents doing a donation portage during their lifetime. And Amrit, our first guest, touched on that during the episode on forced heirship. What are the risks, if any, should parents be mindful of if they decide to go down that route? Thanks, Zuleika. So as you rightly mentioned, a donation partage is made during the lifetime of a person. If we take the typical example of a parent who wants to do a donation partage during his or her lifetime, they will be required to evaluate the assets that form part of their estate and donate the properties in such a way that the reserved portion of each child is observed. The problem with that is that once that donation is made, they can't deal with the assets anymore. And that can be a big issue if we're talking about someone that has a number of different assets, 
and especially when we're talking about land and immovable property, a number of investments. So once you've passed the legal title over, there's not much more you can do about it. So you need to be pretty sure that you're happy to, to, to divest of your assets and give them to your children. I guess the advantage of using this method is that it can only be challenged in terms of the reserve portion not being observed. It brings a certain degree of clarity as to which child gets which property and provided you do the valuation properly at the time that you're doing the donation partage, in principle, all the children would be happy. I presume in practice there's some involvement of the children in deciding who wants what property, who gets the beach house, for example. One thing to bear in mind, however, is that you're valuating the value of the assets at the time you're making the donation. If this estimation changes due to an increase in the property value, for example, after the death of a parent, there is still the possibility that one or more of the heirs may challenge the donation on the ground that they have, their reserve portions have been encroached on. In such a case, the risk that arises is that the assets will be ordered back into the hodgepodge and distributed, again, in accordance with the succession rules, bearing in mind the fourth tiership rules. Alternatively, the heirs can compensate each other in monetary terms to ensure that the distribution is commiserate with the reserve portion. However, in practice, we see that this may lead to potential disputes. So we find that although donation partage has historically been very popular, as we're leading into more sophisticated structures and more sophisticated assets based on our clients, we find that in practice they are less and less desirable because although at the time you're making the donation partage everything is fine and rosy, you don't know what the value of the assets might be after the death of one of the parents, which may be decades after. And this is where disputes often arise. Yeah. Thank you, John. So, I mean, we see that there is a risk involved here. And what about tax issues? Again, so on the donation, there's no income tax. There's, there's no gift tax in Mauritius. So there'll be no tax on the donation itself in terms of gift tax or income tax. Equally, there's no registration duty or land transfer tax uh, because the donation is being made from an ascendant to descendant, effectively. Thank you, John. So now, Zuleika, let's get to a bit more complex structuring. Particularly, I guess, this is the type of structure that we, we see where there's a lot of immovable property involved, the Société Civil. So in this structure, the parents set up a Société together with the children. They then dissect the Port Social into one, the new propriété, which is the bare ownership, and the usufruct, on the other hand. The children hold the bare propriété, and the parents, the usufruct. Why would one choose to dismember the rights in this way? So, as you mentioned, Joan, it's another succession planning tool, which is often used nowadays. And there is a dismemberment of the shares of the société between the usufruct rights and the bare ownership. So normally what happens is that the parents, they hold the usufruct rights over the properties during their lifetime and the bare ownership of the properties will be donated to the heirs. 
And the reason for that is usually because it allows the parents to continue to benefit from the, from the properties, although the ownership of the assets have been donated to the children prior to the death. As you explain in, in the simple donation, once you've given the asset, once you've donated the asset, you lose the ability to actually benefit from the asset during your lifetime. But the Societe Civile tries to remedy this issue. And in one way, the parent continues to benefit from the asset while the, the asset has already been donated to the children. So one thing to also to bear in mind is that the Societe Civile is considered as a separate body. So it will have a separate legal personality if it's registered with the Registrar of Mauritius. Again, I'd like to come back to the issue of disputes among siblings, which is often what we encounter after the death of the parent. Does this type of structure eliminate that risk? Well, I think it's very similar to the donation portage in, in this case. It will reduce the risk of potential future disputes, given that, as you said, during the donation portage, the question of to whom the property will be distributed would have already been resolved during the lifetime of the, of the person or the parent. But the risk is not totally eliminated because there's still the risk that the heirs come and challenge the, the distribution based on the reserve portion. So, yeah, there is still a risk, but the, it's reduced because the question of who gets what, to some extent, is resolved. Thank you, Zuleika. And I think coming back to the type of assets that would usually be held by Societe Civile, as you know, Mauritians love holding immovable properties because they're, they're typically seen as being a sure investment that will hold its value at the minimum or that will increase in value over time. Does this structure work if the society holds several immovable properties? In most cases, the Societe Civile will have a legal personality, as I told you, and the distribution of properties may be complicated in the event that a parent has several properties which are transferred to, the, to a single Societe Civile. So the purpose of this planning tool, as I explained, is to resolve the question of who gets what prior to the death of the person. But if there are several properties which are transferred to a single society and the shares of that society are held by different heirs, then this question is not resolved. So as a solution, it is possible to create different classes of properties for each child. And then one society will hold that class of property for that child in order to have like a more ordained way of distribution after the death of the parent. So that's one way of resolving it. Thank you for that, Zuleika. So I can see that the structure could potentially become quite complicated and convoluted. Is it expensive to run? Well, there's no maintenance cost in comparison with the trust. I would say that there is no maintenance cost. But as you mentioned, it can become complicated if there are several immovable properties involved. Yeah. What about tax issues? A resident society is not liable to tax. So instead, each associate of the society will be liable to tax on his share of income. And in terms of succession through that society, there's no inheritance tax in Mauritius. There's no registration duty or land transfer tax, which will be applicable in case immovable properties are, are also transferred from the society to the heirs later on. Yeah. Thank you. And let's finally talk about our favorite structure. We went through different types of, you know, succession planning tools over the series that we had. And we've discussed our favorite structure in previous episodes, which, which is the trust. 
and we've discussed how the trust works, who are the main players and their main users in the second episode. And let's say that Mr. Smith have settled a trust during his lifetime with him and his wife and his children as beneficiaries. So John, tell us what would happen to the reserve portion on his death. Would the trustee be required to distribute the assets to the heirs immediately? And is there any risk of challenge by the heirs? Very good question, um, Zurich. As you rightly mentioned, I think it's our favorite structure, the one that we're most comfortable with, at least the one that I think works best. If I take the example of Mr. Smith here, the trustee may be instructed not to distribute the properties immediately upon death. So the assets can, can effectively be invested for the benefit of the heirs. Instead, the instructions may require the trustee to pay each child their corresponding reserve portions in cash and subsequently distribute all the properties in accordance with the succession rules at the time of the death of the second spouse, i.e. the wife of Mr. Smith. In the case of a trust, the reserve portion of each child may be calculated at the time of death instead of prior to the death, so already that's an advantage compared with the donation partage, for example, so has to ensure a more precise calculation. The distributions can also be made free of any dispute because the heirs would have little to no motivation to challenge it. In addition, I believe that having an independent party, i.e. a qualified professional trustee who is not linked in any way to the family, So having that independent party in the picture makes the distributions better because the heirs know that there's no vested interest for that party. The clear advantage of this option is that instructions given to the trustee will not include a reference to specific amounts. This gives the trustee flexibility to make distributions based off the reserve portions determined at the time of death. So again, little to no risk of challenge. Of course, there's always, you can't eliminate the risk completely, but we believe that it will remain fairly low because the trustee will always make the distributions in accordance with the forced rules at the relevant point in time. Thank you, John. I think that's a very sophisticated way of, you know, dealing with succession. And other than the risk we just discussed, are there any other obvious downsides to the trust structure as a succession planning tool? I think, Zuleika, the main disadvantage of the trust is the cost of setting up and also maintenance, running it. Uh, As you're aware, in Mauritius, we need to have in a trust at least one qualified trustee, which is typically a management company or other service provider, or at least a a person approved and regulated by the FSC. So there is a fee that comes with that. The, um, uh, you know, the ongoing administration of of the trust. So that's one disadvantage. The second disadvantage is obviously the trustees retain a degree of discretion. Obviously, they are bound by fiduciary duties, by the trustees. They are also guided by the letter of wishes, as um, William discussed in our second episode. But they're certainly not obliged under the law to abide by the letter of wishes or of the set law, or and certainly not of the wishes of the beneficiaries. So there's always that element of discretion subject to the fiduciary duty that they won't do as the beneficiaries please and that may make clients uncomfortable. 
That said, if the settlers are willing to have more certainty that their intentions will be followed, the trust instrument can expressly state how the properties should be distributed upon the death of, of the clients, and the trustees will be required to abide by such terms. In addition, we've discussed in the second episode the role of the protector, so there can also be a protector added to the trust to ensure that ultimately the wishes of the settler are respected. So yes, there are some disadvantages, but we believe that there are always ways and means to structure around them, and it will still make the trust, despite the obvious cost of running the trust and setting up the trust, it will still make the trust the most efficient, robust way of dealing with succession and estate planning, particularly when you're dealing with complicated structures. Thank you, Joel. So out of the four structures we've discussed, Zuleika, which one is, would you say is your favorite and why? I would say that my favorite tool remains the trust. And this is because it is a living instrument and there are many advantages to that compared to the other to start with discussed so far. So the settlers or the beneficiaries, they retain the flexibility to deal with the assets during their lifetime by giving instructions to the trustee through letters of wishes or through the protector, like you mentioned, or by setting it out in the trust instrument, which also can be varied throughout the lifetime of the trust. And the risk of future dispute can be minimized, like you explained, if appropriate instructions are given to the trustee to make distributions by observing the four stewardship rules. The assets can also be, be dealt in accordance with the wishes of the settler, even after the death of the settler, provided the appropriate reserve portions are paid to each heir, like we've, we've discussed. And what about you, John? What would you say is your favorite one and why? I fully agree with you, Zuleika. My favorite one is also the trust. And I think one thing that is important to bear in mind as well is that I think there's an old Chinese proverb saying that by the third generation, wealth is dissipated or something along these lines. Apologies if I haven't transcribed it accurately. And one of the major concerns of clients that we often deal with is what will happen to the wealth I've amassed over decades. It may be a family business or it may be first or second generation, particularly when you have young children. And you know, in the day and age that we live with where people are more interested in making money out of TikTok or what have you, they want to make sure that their wealth is not dissipated. So I think one of the obvious advantages of this type of structure is that assets can be preserved and can be invested by the trustees and there can be a return on investments that closely monitored and the beneficiaries are still the winner they are still the beneficial interest in the assets will always be theirs they're not for the trustee or someone else subject to of course the terms of the trust so the assets are preserved the wealth the family wealth is preserved and it gives some comfort to the parent or the parents particularly those who may have younger children that the the assets won't be dissipated earlier than planned we are on the same page when it comes to the our favorite succession too so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to discuss that with you today Perfect. So it's, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I hope our listeners do too. And of course, you're more than welcome to drop us a line if you have further questions. This was really meant to be a snapshot of some of the structures we frequently encounter. Thanks a lot. Thank you.